I've been justified Just as if I'd never done anything wrong I've been justified And all of my transgressions are gone I was lost, sinking in the ocean Going down, empty and broken I had run straight out of hope When you reached down Guilty as sin, that's how you found me You took me in, just like family Paid in full, the charges against me Now I'm innocent before your throne I've been justified, just as if I'd never done anything wrong I've been justified, and all of my transgressions are gone I can't stand holy before you my whole life. Jesus, I owe you for my faith. I became one who is innocent before your throne. Standing by your grace alone. I've been justified just as if I'd never done anything wrong. I've been justified. Just as if I'd never done anything wrong I've been justified And all of my transgressions are gone Good morning, everyone. Welcome, uh, welcome to Sunday morning service. We're so glad you're here this morning. I just have a few announcements to make. First of all, we have a corporate prayer tonight, and we encourage as many as you can to come out. There's, there's so many people on our prayer list that, that, need, that need prayer, so many things going on in the body of Christ here, and really so many things to praise him for. So please, if you can, come out for corporate prayer tonight. The Women's Evening Bible Study will be this Tuesday at 7 p.m. Uh, Lisa Vanderman will be uh, continuing in the book of Ephesians. And the Singles Adult Ministry, they have a service project on Saturday, April 6th at 10.30 a.m. Please see the, uh, the lobby table for their newsletter. And the Calvary Chapel Women's Retreat, May 3rd and 5th, uh, for those interested in going, the, uh, this uh, brochure is on the lobby table, and uh, there's a down payment if you're interested in going, and that can be turned into Lisa Vandervent today. And uh, we have a, a spring cleaning day on our calendar. Uh, 
uh, on May 11th at 9 a.m. We're going to come as a fellowship, those who can attend, and uh, we're just going to take care of what God has, has given us, this beautiful building. And uh, we always have a wonderful time of fellowship when we have, like, work days. So we encourage you to come out for that. Thank you. So great to see you guys all here. Can we uh, pray? Let's pray and uh, we'll bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this beautiful day, Lord, and thank you that we can just come together and worship you, Lord. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that this is just a sweet sound to your ears, Lord, and that these songs are just our prayers to you, Lord, and that whatever our week was, Lord, that we can just put aside, Lord, and just have this intimate moment with you, Lord, just, you know, us and you, our individual, or you and I, Lord. So with these things, Lord, we just um, we just pray that you give Pastor Matt the words, Lord, as he shares with us this morning, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen. times I failed, still your mercy remains. And should I stumble again, still I'm caught in your grace. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending, your glory goes beyond all fame. You will above all else my purpose remains the art of losing myself in bringing you praise everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond all things in my heart and my soul Lord, I give you control, consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice and praise become my embrace, to love you from the inside out. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades, never ending. Your glory goes beyond all fame, and the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out, Lord, my soul cries out everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades, never ending. Your glory goes beyond all fame. Cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out, Lord. My soul cries out. Your faithfulness, O oh God, 
you wrestle with the sinner's restless heart. You lead us by still waters into mercy. And nothing can keep us apart. So remember your people. Remember your children. Remember your promise, oh God. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. Great is your love and justice, God of Jacob. You use the weak to lead the strong. You lead us in the song of your salvation. And all your people sing along. So Jesus. 
My soul is purchased with his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. One with himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. Dear Lord, thank you so much for us all being here this morning and coming to learn about you, Lord. And I ask that you speak to our hearts this morning. You allow us to receive your Holy Spirit, Lord, and be able to apply the teaching, Lord, and for us to grow in you. In your blessed name. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Glad you're with us here this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and one of our ushers will bring you a Bible. Does everybody have their, uh, their Bible? If not, please go ahead and raise your hand, and an usher will bring you a Bible. Anybody else need one? We need one up front here to the left. Be gentle. He works all night. He comes in. You know, he's wrecked. So bring him a Bible. Takes care of the medical community in this area. So praise the Lord. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, Lord, we are able to come here this morning and sit under your word, Lord, and God, give us supernatural eyes to see, Lord, all that you want to show us. Lord, there's, as we read chapter 10, Lord, there's so much in here specifically for Israel, but Lord, I, I absolutely can see the application in our lives today. Granted, it's for covenant Israel, but, but Lord, you're a promise keeper. And if your promises are very much real and everlasting for Israel, they're for us too, Lord. And we thank you for that, that no matter what happens, Lord, we'll never be separated from your glory, your love, your... Just your grace, Lord. Thank you that you've called us into relationship. Thank you that you loved us first so that we could love you. We praise you, Lord, here this morning. And we pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. We've come as far as verse 13. We're beginning verse 14 here this morning. And Greg, you can kick me down just a little bit. I'm getting a little bit of reverb up here on my audio, if you wouldn't mind. Is that better? Can you all still hear me pretty good? Yeah, okay, great. Sorry about that. So as you remember, you know, really from chapters uh, 9 through 11, Paul is speaking to covenant Israel, but he's also going back. And many Jewish Christians, think about that, in Rome right now, you know, at the writing of this letter, as they were hearing this, I imagine they're thinking back to their brothers and their sisters that are Jews, that are Hebrews like that, and maybe still under the law and still holding themselves to a, a righteousness of the law, not a, not a righteousness of faith. And so as he's writing this, I know there's a part of Paul that I believe is appealing to the Jew, and he's going to use himself as an example. He's going to come back and point and say, see, look, if God can redeem me, Paul the Apostle, right? A Pharisee of Pharisees, killing and murdering Christians. Is it Paul can do that in my life? You better believe God can turn around and do, or I meant say God can do that in Paul's life. You better believe that God can turn around and do that 
in everyone's life, especially covenant Israel, which he's made his promise to. Amen? Amen. I mean, that's the God we serve. He's a promise keeper. He makes vows. He keeps his covenants. So as we look at this here in verse 14, he's going to be building on what he was talking about. And he first makes the appeal that Israel needs the gospel. They need the word of God. We looked at the Psalms and we went back last week, Leviticus 18.15. We talked about Acts chapter 2.21, Joel 2.28. We looked through the scripture. Again, Paul directing us back to the word of God for the answers. Paul is going to be explaining here as we really get to right around, I think it's 16 or 17, verse 17 there. He's going to go, it really all boils down to knowing your word. He goes, because at the end of the day, if you don't know the word of God, you will find the faith you have slowly begin to deplete. You'll be praying, help me in my unbelief, Lord. And I know that seems odd that I'm speaking to the church that way, but Paul was speaking to the bride of Christ in Rome. He was warning them, not only the believer, but even the unbeliever, of why you missed Messiah. Why did you miss Jesus Christ the first time he came? Was it, was it of ignorance? Or was it because you weren't reading the prophets? Or was it a combination that had to do with your heart and the fact that you wouldn't submit yourself to the word? That's what Paul's appeal is. And he's going to make that appeal to say, hey, look, if that's the issue, then what? Soften your heart, read the word of God, and get in right relationship. And I know that's Paul's desire as we... We'll continue on in chapter 11. He's saying it's not over. It's not over for covenant Israel. There's still a plan and a purpose. Jeremiah 31, 31, we'll talk about that next week. We'll read it. God is not done with covenant Israel. And we ought to understand that. We ought to be thankful, not arrogant. Sometimes there's Christians walking around, you know, so arrogant. You know, I'm saved and, and you know, who cares about, you know, Israel's off the map. They don't matter. Wow. If God is a a promise keeper and he keeps his vow, that means he's going to keep his promise to you and I as believers in Christ. And if we so quickly dismiss that, then, you know, because Israel's off the map, what happens if we backslide? Does that mean we're off the map? Certainly not, as Paul would say. He wants to encourage us, and he wants to encourage those to let them know it all comes back down to the word. Amen? So let's look here at uh, verse 14. How then shall they call upon in whom they have not believed? Now, this is specifically juxtaposition to what's called a bridge verse. If you look at verse 13, verse 13 is a bridge verse. You can't read verse 14 without connecting verse 13, that's the bridge verse, to bring the meaning or context. In verse 13, he says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a declaration. It's a promise. We read it in Acts 2.21. We read it in Joel 2.28. It's a commanded, and it's promise, and it's authored by God. But then in the same breath, he goes in the 14, and he goes, well, then what happened? How is it possible that much of Israel today doesn't know Messiah, doesn't know Jesus Christ? Because if God said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, and they say they call on the name of God, or the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, what's wrong with this? What's, What's missing? Right? Fair question. That's why it's a bridge verse. So as we look at verse 14, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How is it going to work out? If, if they haven't believed in Jesus, if they haven't believed in how is this going to happen then? How, is the, how are they going to be saved? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Why did they not hear? Remember they would stomp their feet and cover their ears? 
That's what they would do. The Pharisees and Sadducees, when Jesus would speak truth, they would get so upset, they would stomp their ears, they'd rip their, their uh, jackets that way, their coats, better put, robes, they would, and they would stomp and cover their ears. My kids do that, <laughs> right? Some of you have little kids in your home, you know what I'm talking about. You know, and they go, and then they arch themselves, and how do they do that? I, I'm, not, I'm not flexible like that. They throw themselves on the ground like that, like in a temper tantrum. But they were stopping. They weren't listening. They had, they had silenced. They had silenced the word of God by not hearing it. He says, when they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Do you recognize that your life is a living epistle read and known by men and women? You may be the only Bible that people read. They may not pick up a Bible necessarily, but your life is a Bible, right? What you say, what you do, where you go, what you laugh at, what you don't. It can't be mistaken. Jesus said that when you take a light and you put it on a hill or even someplace, it it can't be hidden. It can't be hidden. It's for everyone to see. Our lives are living testimonies, and they testify to Christ Friend, if you're here this morning and your life isn't testifying to Christ, well, then who is it testifying to? Who are you drawing people to? Because I assure you, you're drawing people to someone. You're pointing someone to someone by the way you live. Because if we're others focused, which is what the gospel says we're to be, right? We're told in Matthew 28, 19 and on, right, that we are to go forth and preach the gospel or give the gospel, right? Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, to all nations that way, right? That's what God commanded. It wasn't a suggestion. Amen? Well, if that be true, are we not all a royal priesthood, a precious people? First Peter 2, 9. So every one of us is ministers, aren't we? We're ministers unto the gospel. You see, Paul's making the point that if covenant Israel doesn't get the word, where are they going to hear from? Do we think, well, Lord, that's not my ministry? You ever heard people say that? That's not my ministry. You know, I think of people get dropped off like in the nursery, the little babies, right? They're so cute. We just had a baby dedication this morning, uh, first service. It was awesome. And love two little babies, you know, uh, Saul and Ivy. We're dedicated unto the Lord here this morning. And, uh, you know, I thought to myself, I said, can you imagine if... Um, after the dedication, they were obviously brought into the nursery that way. What if somebody was supposed to be serving in nursery that morning and says, you know what, this, this ain't my ministry. What? What does that mean? How is that possible? Are we not to be ministers to everyone within reach that will listen and hear? There are men and women called to go to Israel to, uh, as missionaries. To, to spread the word. We, we have people in our fellowship here this morning that have been to Israel and spent years of their lives in Israel, dedicated, given up their lives so that the Jew, the Hebrew, God's chosen people could hear the word and they were without excuse. Their lives dedicated unto God that way. Verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of, or sorry, who bring glad tidings of good things. Just think about that for a minute. Is that how you think of the gospel of peace? 
glad tidings of good things. Ephesians chapter 6, 15 says what? That you are, as you put on the armor, what is one of the pieces of the armor you put on? The shoes shot with peace, the gospel, the gospel of peace. That you walk forward with the gospel. That's one of your weapons. Some of you are a former military, right? You served in military. You, you know my background, Nate. Some of you all have served. Praise God for your service. Thank you for your service. When you think about this, when you go into battle, you don't take it lightly. You're prepared. You go in intentional. You have weapons. Well, no different for the spiritual warfare and battle you're in today. You have weapons. You have a sword of the spirit. What's your sword of the spirit? It's the word of God, right? It's an offensive and a defensive weapon. Got a shield of faith, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, belt of what? Truth. And then what else? Shoes shot with the gospel of peace. I love that. You see, he says, with who bring glad tidings and good things. Let's look at this because this is all about salvation. If you're reading this the first time and you may be unfamiliar with your Old Testament, you may be looking at that and going, well, okay, he's bringing the gospel and I get that and it's, good, it's glad tidings and, and, and all that, but what are these good things? This is a salvation passage from Isaiah. That's what this is speaking about. What is Paul also demonstrating for this? There's nothing new under the sun. This was preached to the Jews. It was the prophets that went before them. Look at Isaiah chapter 52. We're going to look at verse 7. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 52, please. You know, if you study this and you go to a synagogue, many times, as you, as you are well aware, or maybe, maybe you're not well many times Isaiah 53 is not read in the synagogue. But it's not for the reason that people think. A lot of people will turn around and say, well, Isaiah 53 is never read in synagogues because you can't miss Jesus Christ. That's not the reason. It's traditional that it was not read that way, okay? But when you look at it, it, it is interesting, though, when you do think about it, because what's Isaiah 53 all about? The suffering servant. You can't really miss it, right? Well, okay. But if you back up to Isaiah 52, which is where we're going to be reading in a moment, if you go through, we, as I just mentioned in verse 13 of 52, you're going to see something. It says, behold my who? Servant. Now, you'll see some seven or eight times before this, if I, if I remember correctly, in the book of Isaiah, you'll see that same term servant used. But in context, who is that servant being called out to in, in context of Isaiah, if you studied Isaiah line by line, it's talking about a nation. So a lot of times what they will do is they will, and I say they, rabbis, those in the synagogues, they'll take that and they'll try to spiritualize the suffering servant as though Israel was a nation that would suffer for Christ or the servant here. I've never seen Israel suffer for Christ. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But they'll turn around and they'll say it's, a, it's speaking to the nation or the, of the nation of Israel that way. And that's how they try to explain chapters 52 and 53. And if you went and spoke with a rabbi, and, and no disrespect to a rabbi that way, but that's how they'll exegete it. They'll go, hey, do me a favor. Turn to this passage. Turn to this passage. Turn to this passage. Servant, servant, servant. Who's that talking about? He'll say, if you don't know your, you know, as a Christian, he'll say, if you don't know your, your Bible as a Christian, you have all of Isaiah 53 memorized, right? Most Christians should. It's, 
It's the suffering servant passage. It should, you should have it memorized. But, but he'll sit there and say, but, but you don't know 52, 51. You don't know 43. You don't know. And, and he'll start to make the argument. And he'll say, well, look, servant speaks corporately of the nation of Israel, which may very well be true. But then when you get to 52, all of a sudden the shift focuses on salvation, redemption. And he introduces the suffering servant, definite article, the suffering servant. He says he's also mine. God says that. So it's important to read our Bibles in context. Certainly you want to do that with love if you ever speak to a rabbi or in a synagogue. You want to, you want to do it in love. But you want to explain context is king. We need to know our context. We need to know Isaiah. It's a, it's a very important book. All, all the books of the Bible are. But let's begin in chapter 52 here. Awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. Again, Isaiah chapter 52. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust and arise Sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you have sold yourselves for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. What is he talking about? What did they sell themselves into? Idolatry. For nothing. You've chased after false idols. You've gone, you've gone away contrary and all for what? And oh, by the way, can you and if, the, if Israel was really the nation of the servant, could the nation restore themselves or redeem themselves? No. They would have saved themselves already, wouldn't they have, if they could? Wouldn't we have saved ourselves if we could? We couldn't. We needed God. We needed Jesus Christ, right? So he says, for thus says the Lord, look how many times he'll say this to make sure that everybody understands. This time, God, right? He makes sure everybody knows exactly who we're talking about. My people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrians oppressed them without cause, 722 BC. Now therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. What does that word blaspheme mean in the Hebrew? A cutting. It's a cutting. You're cutting with a name. You're cutting with your words. That's why when you take the name of the Lord in vain, it's blasphemy because you're cutting with it. You're cutting. You're using your words to cut. My name is blasphemy continually every day. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know that in the day that I, notice that, in that day, that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. He also said, I am the great I am. How beautiful upon the mountains. Now here's where we pick up from our reading where we were in Romans chapter 10 there. This is the passage that was quoted. Now look at the rest of the verse in context. What is he speaking about? How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace. What is Israel always looking for today? Peace and or safety. Peace and safety, peace and security, right? He says, I can give you that peace but it's not going to come the way you think. It's going to come through one who will bring it to you. Who is that? Jesus Christ. But let's keep reading. Who proclaims peace? Who brings, here it is, glad tidings and good things. Who proclaims what? Salvation. Salvation, do you see it? You and I can't miss it. It's there. It was there 3,400 years ago or 
2,000 plus years ago. It was there. It's always been there. It was prophetic. God was warning them even at that time, be looking for, we're going to read it in Zechariah 12, be looking for the one that would come, that would bring you salvation, that would redeem you from your sin. It, this wasn't done in hiding. This wasn't done, you know, in a way where, oh boy, no, this was a hard issue. This was an issue of them failing to read their word and believe in faith, the word of God to be true. The oracles of God were given to Israel. They're his chosen people. They're his covenant people. And praise God, the story doesn't end here. The account doesn't end here. We'll read it in Jeremiah 31 and 39. He's going to give them a new heart. They're going to cry out and call out to his name. He's going to even give them the ability to not walk the way they used to walk anymore. Not desiring to follow law, but walking after him in righteousness and love. He's going to do the work, just like he does the work in you and I. Praise God it's not dependent on you and I or me, right? Praise Lord that we're not dependent on our salvation. That we look to a God that his hand isn't slack. He's the ancient of days. What can our God do? He says, who says to Zion, I love this. Thank you, Jesus. Your God reigns. He's still seated at the right hand of the Father. You know, when you're looking at a circumstance or a trial in your life, and you're, you're just feeling whooped down, you're feeling beaten, you're uncertain, what's going to happen next? Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you got a call from a doctor. Maybe, maybe things are not going the way you expected. This is not part of the plan. You ever have those moments? It's not part of the plan, Lord. What is happening? Your circumstances change. Your God never does. But he says something very important here. Your God reigns. Praise God, he's still seated on the throne. And it's never going to change, except when we come back with him for the millennial reign. And guess what? He will still be seated on the throne. It'll be in Jerusalem. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices, your prophets. With their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Will be. This is obviously not yet. He will be. He will do this in the last days. We are in the last days. It could be any moment. We really don't know. But isn't it interesting? Benjamin Netanyahu, UN, everybody else. What are they all talking about? Peace and safety, peace and security. More times this year at the UN than any other time throughout history. You can go back and listen to the speeches even from leaders that have no idea what they're talking about. And I know that's not a surprise. But that part of it in the UN where they're turning around and they're, I mean, literally going back and they're almost like, it's like right out of the Bible and they don't even, they don't even realize what they're saying. And then they capitulate. You know, whoa, what, what did I mean? No, I, that's not really what I meant. I meant, no, that's, that's what you meant. Because even, even God can speak through the mouth of a fool. He does it every week, <laughs> right? But, but look what he says. You, you, can, you can turn, well, actually, hang on. Let's, let's finish our reading. I had turned back, but you know what? Let, let's finish our reading there because we're going to end up in, in 53 and we need to, we should really read it in context because it's going to be important for 53. So he says, um, 
Where are we? Verse 10. The Lord, thank you. The Lord, see, told you, fool. The Lord has made bare his holy army in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall be, or shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant, capital M, capital S, Jesus, shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his vassage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. You think about the suffering that our Messiah, that our God went through. We read the gospel as we will here for Resurrection Day coming up in April. As we go back and we remember all that our God suffered, he was spat on, punched, beaten, whipped. And he didn't even defend himself. He didn't even answer a fight back. He's God. He says, I could have called 12 legions when he was in the garden. Do you remember that? And Peter, when he went to strike, he says, I could have called 12 legions of angels down right now. He says, Peter, put your sword away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword, he says to him. That's really what it means in the context of that Greek. He says, behold, my servant shall be prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high, just as many were astonished at you. So his vassage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So he shall sprinkle many nations. Think about that for a minute. Startle is the better word for it. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see... I don't understand how we could put the nation of Israel in that as a people when it's singular in the, in the context of the, of the Hebrew here. It's written in the singular, my servant, not servants, plural. It's not a nation. It's not, the plurality isn't there. It's a single ser- servant. And he'll do what? He will startle many nations. His form, right? Begin to think about this, really, apologetically. Understand why this isn't the nation of Israel, and it's Jesus, and it's only Jesus. For what had not been told them, they shall see, right? Think about the prophetic aspect of this. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? Chapter 53, verse 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And we, like a sheep, have all gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own. Just think about that for a minute. Everyone to his own way. 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When have you ever seen covenant Israel have the, have the entire sin of the world laid upon the nation? You've never seen that. It's not even in context. Have they been a persecuted people? You better believe it. Absolutely. More persecuted than any other people group in the world. But never once do we read anywhere where Israel is the redeemer of the people of God or their, own, or their own selves that way. We've never read that. They were to be a witness to the other nations. Certainly in Genesis, we read that, Genesis 12 and 13. So when they try to eisegete, that means read into, exegete means pull out of in the Greek or out of. When they try to turn around and, and say, well, see, what, what they're doing is they're trying to wipe Messiah off the page. And see, this is what Paul's going to talk about because he's going to say, you see these things, but you didn't believe the word by faith. You didn't believe what it said by faith. You changed it. You, you tried to spiritualize it or, or, or change it. And isn't that what we see today? So many people changing the word. Many people, many churches, they don't even read the book of Revelation. Or if they do, they algorize, you know, they, they make it an allegory. They algorize the whole book of Revelation. Instead of understanding it's a literal revelation of Jesus Christ. It's like when we read the book of Revelation, and we did a couple of years, a few years back. One of the things I, I said to the flock at that time, I said, if we read this book and we don't see Jesus We've missed the whole thing. We've missed the whole thing. You missed the whole book. If you can read that book of Revelation and not see Jesus Christ. You, you can turn back to, uh, to Romans. See, Paul knew that Isaiah 53 was speaking of Jesus. He was speaking of Messiah. He knew that exactly what, what was the problem was because he himself at one time was walking contrary to this. He was working, walking contrary to this. What was, he, what was he worshiping? The law instead of God. He was worshiping the works of God, not the God of the works. And he began to understand this. And so what, what does he do here? He, he goes back to these scriptures because in his heart's hearts, as we read in the beginning of, of chapter 10, verse 1, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. That's his heart's desire. He desperately wants Israel to be saved as we should do today. Desperately want that. Desperately be praying for that. Also praying for our land, America, United States of America. We should desperately be praying for our country. It should, should be our heart's desire as well. For our veterans, right? For, for our, our folks at work in law enforcement, through, through, you know, the hospital, the whole thing, everyone. Come into salvation. These, the emergency responders, just think about how much they see on the front lines. To do that without knowing Jesus, I don't, know how they, I don't know how they could get through the day to see so much destruction sometimes. Also, times of beauty as well where they would praise God every time a new baby is born, right? We read the passages in the Psalm, Psalm 127. You know, we read about children also being what? A heritage unto the Lord, a blessing, a blessing, right? A quiverful, a blessing God has given us. God wanted them to understand, but he makes it simple. He says, look, who brings glad tidings and good things, that's what Messiah brought, and that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ brings. It's a good message. It's a message of hope and love, and that you can't separate them. 
but they have not all obeyed the gospel. You see, that's the accusation there. Paul is sort of narrowing in on the bullseye. What's the problem? He's saying they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, and where does he go back? What's the gospel for Paul? The New Testament's not written at this time. So what's the gospel for Paul? The Pentateuch, right? The, the Old Testament, the Torah. The, he's reading the, the, the Old Testament. The, you know, like you and I just went back. He's referencing, and guess what? It's all in there as well. It's not a new gospel that is only in the new covenant that we read in the gospel that, you know, Matthew and on through Revelation. This is a gospel that's been presented through Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's not, it's not, there's nothing new under the sun that way. I love when I hear, you know, that proclaimed because it's like, amen, he is the ancient of days. What makes me new, nervous is when people come up and say, you know, it's a new covenant. It's a fulfilled covenant that's made new through Christ. It's why a Jew that's born again is a completed Jew. Do, do you understand that? It's, it's a completed Jew. They already knew the covenant God of Israel. We as Gentiles did not know that covenant God. We were grafted in. We received him as Lord and Savior. And some of us may be like, hey, man, that's harsh. Talk to God. He, Israel's God's chosen people. And when they come to salvation, they're completed Jews. That's the, that's the term. That's what we, Paul brings that out, the idea of a completed Jew. Because what were they still missing? Jesus, because the law couldn't save. Do you see that? They were given the oracles of God, the commandments and statutes, but they didn't believe. That's what he just said. They didn't believe and obey. He says, Lord, who has believed on our report, right? He, he goes back and he quotes Isaiah 53.1. We just read that a moment ago. They didn't believe God's word. You see, that's the root of the problem. He, he's going to explain Further on in verse 17, he's going to explain, this is what happens to a people group. When you don't read the word of God or you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ, do you know what happens? You begin to fall away. You begin to be manipulated by the culture, whether you are aware of it or not. And it is subtle and it is very slippery. And next thing you know, we'll read the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. We're in the church age. There's seven churches there. I just put up five, I'll put up two for you. There's seven churches there. Don't worry, your pastor can count. There's seven churches there, all right? How many of those churches truly are exhorted for their well, you know, their good deeds, not leaving their first love? How many? Really one. There's another church that's sort of encouraged, okay, maybe a little bit, but really one, Philadelphia, is the one church that's really lifted up and said, this is the example. We ought to read that, not only in our lives personally, to run our lives through the grid of Scripture, but corporately as a church. Why is that so important that it's there? Because do you think the church of Ephesus, remember the church of Ephesus? Paul spent the most amount of time there, three years, to the church of Ephesians, the book we, or the letter of Ephesians we get today. He spent the most amount of time with that church and what was the sin that they were guilty of, that, that Jesus Christ condemns them of? That they had left their first love. If you would return to your works in the beginning, how far you have fallen while you've done this, you have left your first love. What's that tell us? That there are churches today that when they leave the word of God because 
of a culture, because of a bait and switch, because of entertainment, because of anything else. Look, I'm not the author of this. I don't understand it all. I just know what God's word says. That when we move off the word of God and we look for something else to fill that, it says that we walk in our ways, but our ways are not his ways. That's all I understand. I'm a simple man. And it says that when we do that and we walk off like that, we begin to walk, lean on our own understanding. We're no longer relying on him to direct our path, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Contrary to what if we do what? We lean on him, acknowledge him, and he'll do what? Direct our paths. They're, they're mutually exclusive. They're mutually exclusive. So when we see this here and we read this, Paul's drawing it back to the fact that, that they don't believe the word. And not only that, but they're not reading, they're not understanding, they're not, they're not obeying it. They're not obeying the word of God. And I believe that's what's happening in Christianity across America today, friends. Well, around the world. Is that people have the greatest gift they could have ever been given from God. God breathed the word of God. Supernatural. This book you have before you. There's nothing else like it. You can't find any else like thing like it. 25, uh, 27% of it is prophecy. Over 1,200 different prophetic promises. 700 plus have already been fulfilled with 100% accuracy. 100% accuracy. Nothing else like it that we could even go to. Nostradamus and all the other cults and guys out there, mediums and everything, and seers, at their best, 58 to 60% at best. And that's with demonic influence. But with God and the Holy Spirit, 100%. Not even close. Not even close. And it's been preserved for how many? Thousands and thousands of years. If the earth is 6,000 years old and we've had writing probably within 500 to 1,000 years within that time, that means that we've had, well, we've had the word of God for over 5,000 years. Today, we have the whole counsel of God in a way that generations 2,000 years ago before us never had. We have the entire counsel of God. Much is given, much is required. We're not ignorant nor blind to it. It's a willing disobedience. He used the word obedience, not me. Paul used the word obedience. He says, when you have the word and you don't follow it, what is that called? Disobedience. What, what's the opposite of that, right? Obedience. You with me? The opposite of that, some of you are like, I don't like that word. Some of it, but that's what it is. And if it convicts you this morning and it's like, man, I know. Don't get mad at me. Hey, I'm with you sometimes right there. I'm no different, brother and sister. I'm no different, friend. Sometimes I'm right there. I'm, I'm reading and I'm like, oh, man, I blew it again. Praise you, Jesus, that you call me back and you love me. And you're not, you're not turning around. He says, you said in Romans 8:1, there is no condemnation. You meant what you said and you said what you meant. You're not grammatically challenged. Isn't that great? That's the covenant you and I are part of. That's a covenant of love, grace, and mercy. That's what Paul wants for covenant Israel. That's what he wants for his chosen people. He wants them to experience the real love that they've never had because of the stumbling stone that was put before them that they rejected. Now, this may be hard for some of you to imagine. I, I say that cynically. It's not. Because we all have family members, friends that we love. 
that aren't born-again believers in Christ. And I understand in the context that Paul is speaking to covenant Israel here. I get it. You get it. We understand hermeneutically. That's who he's talking to. But can we not abstract that in our lives today? 2,000 years later, as Paul was writing this to a church in Rome that was also full of Gentiles as well as uh, Christian, uh, Jewish Christians, what was he communicating to them? He was communicating that if you're not hearing the word of God, if you're not reading the word of God, that your, your tank, your faith tank, if I can call it that, your faith tank's going to go on E. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Verse 17, that's what he says. That's the context of this passage. How many of you had people that you love repeat that passage to you? Well, brother, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it's like, thank you in the middle of your trial. That's not the context of the passage. This passage is meant to be an encouragement, but it's meant to say, look, whatever you're going through in life, go back to the word of God. Go back to Christ. That's what it's trying to do. Draw you back to Jesus. Who do you draw people to? Who are you drawn to? Your word, Jesus. There's no limit to what he can do. It's not like our opinions matter. But when we speak the word of God, just by the very utterance, there could be somebody here not saved this morning. There could be people wrestling just by the word of God, even if they're trying to tune it out, going, how long is this guy go? You know what? That word's going right in there, man. Perfectly. Cutting through the bone, the marrow. Living. Beautiful. Doing the work. Precision. Not taking a, 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 you know, a large sword like a, like a big, I don't know, a gyration or a gyration, like a big. No, this is a scalpel. He goes in and he cuts away just perfectly a surgical instrument. That which is not needed. That which is not holy. That which is defiled. And he leaves the goodness in. And he leaves the righteousness. And he continues to build more of that by cutting out the waste. By cutting out the defilement and, and he replaces it. It's beautiful. That's why he draws us back here. That's why it's the gospel of peace. That's what all of Israel wants today, but they're trying to get it by striving. They're trying to get it through a political savior rather than the savior. And that's the only way Israel's going to receive it. And you and I have a beautiful opportunity to tell our Jewish friends who Jesus really is that he is Messiah. He is, as, as Isaiah 53 said, he is the suffering servant and he will redeem you and he'll set you free just as he did me, just as he did me and all of us. Frankly, if we weren't others focused, none of us would be here. If somebody didn't care enough and love us and, and you know, give us the word, we wouldn't be here this morning. But somebody loved us enough to bring us or somebody loved us enough to raise us under the word as Deuteronomy said, that it's written throughout your house and doorposts. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see the ingredients? That's the recipe. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. When you are in the word of God, your faith will increase. If you're having moments of unbelief, if you're having moments of anxiety, if you're having moments of depression, if you're struggling, which we all do, let's not pretend anybody here's arrived. Everybody in this room struggles with anxiety at one time or another. Every one of you, brother, sister, look, look around. You're not alone. Let's not play church. Let's not play Christian. That is a reality. Every one of us has good days and bad days, right? Some of us, the roller coaster's a little more extreme. But generally, I think a lot of us like the, you know, the baby coaster, right? We don't always get to pick that. Sometimes there's hormone things. There's a lot of reasons for that. But the point is, look, I say it like it is. The point is, at the end of the day, God tells us that when we read the word of God, our faith will increase. We need more faith. We're living in the last days. And not only do we need faith, because only what's poured in can be poured out. Not only do we need it, but guess what? We need to be filled, so guess what we can do? Be the hands and feet of God. Give out the gospel, as Matthew 28, 19 commanded, that we can go forward and encourage others. How about that? How about it not being all about us? How about it being other-focused, as he said, upon all these things, hang the law and the prophets. Love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as your self. He says, upon these things, all the law and the prophets, that means the whole counsel of God. It's an idiom. It's the idea behind it. But I say, have you not heard? Yes, indeed, that their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Psalm 19.4, it was prophetic, speaking that the word would go forward to Israel, but they would reject it. The sound, they wouldn't hear it. Remember, they stomped their feet. But I say, did Israel not know he says, but wait a minute, go back to the, go back to the Pentateuch. Go back to the first, you know, go back to the Torah. Go back to the first five books if you want to. Go back to that and, and look. He says, Moses, right? And he talks about Deuteronomy chapter 32, 21 here. He says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. It was all prophesied. God said this would happen. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. That's kind of harsh, but okay. We are foolish, right? But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 65, um, verse 1 there. What is he saying here? What's Paul trying to communicate? That God would draw other nations into relationship. That's what he prophesied. And it's exactly what happened. You and I, for most part, of you, most of us here are Gentiles. You want to see the word of God being true? Look around. You are prophecy. You are the fulfillment of prophecy right in this room. Gentiles and other nations that believe in Jesus Christ. If you want proof that the Bible is true, 3,000 years ago when this was written, 3,400 to be accurate, look around. You are fulfilled prophecy. I am fulfilled prophecy. That here we are as a nation, not Jewish ethnically, and we all believe and it was just as it was written in Deuteronomy, and it's just as it was written in Isaiah. Think about that. 700, 700 years before Christ even walked the earth. This was penned. This was written. And it's true. Every one of his promises are true. But to Israel, he says, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, I don't, I don't want to end right at Isaiah 65 too, right? That's it's kind of a downer, man, right? It's kind of a downer. I don't want to, I don't want to end right there. We're going to read the first, ver, uh, first verse of uh, chapter 11. 
Because Paul brings it all back around. And he says, look, but it's not, it's not final. It's not over. God has a plan. Next week, we'll read Zechariah chapter 12. We're going to read Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31, 31. He says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Ultimately, Paul, if you're saying all this stuff about Israel and how they're rejecting the word of God and how they're not listening and how the prophets even foretold it, is Israel off the map? Are they all done with? <laughs> Certainly not, as Paul would say. Absolutely not. What do we see here? That God's also prophesied about that too, prophesied what would happen. And like I said, Jeremiah 31, 31, well, they'll receive a new heart and they will believe and they will believe and they will be saved. Isn't that beautiful? That God is a covenant keeper. Now, let's all be selfish for a moment. That's not hard, right? I speak to our flesh, not our spirit. What's that mean for you and I? If God's a covenant keeper and he keeps his promises, are we not his covenant children? When he tells us that I will never leave you nor forsake you, does he mean what he says? Can anything take you out of his hand? No. You are overcomers and you have victory in Christ. Now that's a word of encouragement because we're children of the covenant. We've been grafted in. We're going to read next week in chapter 11 how he says, hey, don't turn around and get haughty about it. Don't, get a, don't look down on Israel and go, ha ha, you should have believed. He says, don't, don't you dare do that. He goes, because what's it all come back to? Is it the branches or the roots? He's going to say in chapter 11, it all comes back to the root. And from the root, the branches, and the branches bear fruit. It all comes back to Christ. Because it's all a system of grace. It can't be done by an individual through striving. It was all done through grace. That's why we can honestly say in our whole lives, none of us have arrived and nor will we ever. Not till the perfecting of Christ when we receive that glorified body and we meet him face to face, which, oh, by the way, can be any moment. Because prophetically, everything else is fulfilled that needs to be. There's not a single passage that needs to happen before the rapture of the church. Not one. We're looking at Ezekiel's timeline, Ezekiel 38. That's where we're at. It's on a prophetic timeline. You want to know what's going to happen? Keep your eye in the Middle East. Keep your eye in the Middle East. It's all about Jerusalem. That's where everything's happening. You want to know when it's happening? Watch Jerusalem. Things are heating up. Even though you don't see all the things going on, oh, they're happening. And people are getting ready to make their moves. And if it wasn't for God withholding just a moment on this pause button, some of that's, I think, through this, even this administration, to be honest with you. But there is coming a time where that hand will be moved and we will see the harpazo in a twinkle of an eye. Let's stand and pray. So he says, certainly not, for I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. He goes back and what Paul does is he says, you want an example of this? Look at me. He said, God saved me and I was an Israelite. And if God can save me, he can save anyone. All it has to do is a matter of what? Heart. So let's pray for Israel this morning that hearts would be prepared. Let's pray for our own country. Let's pray for our own land. Let's pray for the Harrisburger. Let's pray that hearts are softened this morning and people hear the word of God. And who knows, you might be that living epistle that are known and read by men and women. He might use you just by your very presence because you can't hide the Holy Spirit in you.
Father, we come before you here this morning. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you, God, you have allowed us to spiritually see. You've taken any blinders off. You've, Lord, as a nation, as a foolish nation, Lord, we, we've been given such a beautiful gift. Salvation. Grace. Lord, we didn't deserve any of it. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for redeeming all of us. Lord, we pray for our loved ones. Lord, we all have loved ones in this room that we know aren't walking with you right now. Lord, we lift them up to you and we pray, God, please, Jesus, till up the ground in the heart. Make it fertile, Lord. Let the seed penetrate, God, where before it bounced off. Let it, let it penetrate and seal it in there so it can't be removed. Keep it from the fowler of the air, Lord. Keep it from the wicked one, the evil one. Allow that seed to germinate and turn into beautiful fruit, Jesus. Father, I would ask also for Israel right now. Thank you that they're your chosen people, Lord. I'm grateful that you have covenant people because, God, we are your covenant people too, your sons and daughters here as believers. And I thank you, God, for that because, Lord, just as you promised to them that, Lord, you're a vow and a promise keeper. You're, you're never going to break your vow and you're never going to break your promises. And, Lord, I know that for all of us. You're never going to do that for either. You will never... Lord, you'll never turn around and leave us nor forsake us. No matter what we're going through right now, you will make yourself so real to us in that moment. Lord, in that moment of need, you are always present. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Lord, I don't have the right words to thank you from the depths of my heart or from the depths of your bride's heart here. But Lord, we know it's true and it's everything to us. Thank you, Jesus, for your, your love that we could respond in love. And I pray, God, that Israel would see Isaiah 53 and their eyes would be open to Messiah and that they would cry out to you and that you would, as you promised, give them new hearts. Oh, Father, please have your mercy right now. Bless them. And Lord, we pray for the United States of America. God, we pray for a blessing for this country, Lord. And we pray for repentance, Lord, for abortion and wickedness and evil. God, we pray for redefining marriage. Forgive us for that, Lord. Please, God, just heal our land, Lord. Forgive our sin. Lord, I think of the Harrisburg area. Lord, I, I pray for the churches in our area here. I pray the word of God goes forward, Lord. I pray that, Lord, the bride of Christ, we are family. There is no difference when we're in you, with you in heaven, Lord. I pray that we'll be united to you, praising and glorifying your holy name. I pray, God, though, please don't leave your people, Lord, that are sitting in places and they've become synagogues of Satan, Lord. They've become churches of Satan because the word isn't there and they've left their first love. God, I pray for the pastors there. I pray, Lord, for even the medical people that just go by, Lord, wherever they're rushing to help, I pray, God, they'd get there in time and they would be able to save a life, Lord. And Lord, give the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give your gospel, Lord. And Lord, I just continue to pray for the Harrisburg area. Please, God, do a work, do a revival in this area. Touch our hearts and minds, Lord. For those that need employment, give jobs, Lord. For those that need healing, give healing, Lord, God. For those that need wisdom, let them ask mightily, Lord, and you will give them and deliver them. Please, Jesus, Lord, bless your people and keep them, God. I pray, 
let your face, Lord, be shined upon them and be gracious to them, Lord. I pray that, that you would lift up your countenance, your presence upon them right now, Lord. You'd give them a perfect peace. Write your name upon them. They're blood-bought and they belong to you. Bless your people, Lord Jesus. You say if we come and humble ourselves, that, Lord, you'll bless our land, bless the people. Please do that here now, Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. And I look forward to seeing you on uh, Wednesday. And ladies, don't forget this Tuesday, women's study at 7 p.m. God bless you all. Corporate prayer tonight at 7 p.m.